Hello and welcome to the Jewish Mother Me podcast. This is the podcast that believes Jewish mothers, every home should have one. Doesn't matter how old you are, who you are, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, which star you were born under or where you are in the world. Perhaps there's a little bit of the Jewish mother that could bring something uplifting into your life. And we're going to be talking uplifting in a moment, which is very appropriate. My name's Angela Epstein. Naomi Lopian and Lynn Dover and we're here to bring you the very best the humorous possibly some of the bone crunchingly embarrassing bits about being the Jewish mother but hopefully you'll walk away with some takeaway wisdom and your day will be better for it today we are talking of things and matters uplifting we are absolutely thrilled to welcome Elisa Riga Elisa is the daughter of Janet the infamous lingerie entrepreneur who really did change the way women looked and wore their underwear. She's now a seminal part of this business that we all know about and think of when we want to think of something absolutely beautiful to wear under our clothes. Elisa, welcome so much to Jewish Mother Me. Thank you for having me. Jewish mothers, how much were you Jewish mothered? I was absolutely 100% Jewish mothered, but not just by my Jewish mother, but also by my Jewish father and to quite a large degree by my Jewish grandmother. So I had it in spades. So if you were to sort of summarise, first of all, your Jewish mother, Janet, who, uh, you know, like I say, she revolutionised the way we thought about lingerie, which is often not a topic, would we say, girls, that Jewish mothers <laughs> talk about, Noemi? No, we don't usually associate Jewish mothers and lingerie. Maybe we should, though, shouldn't we? <laughs> Maybe we will after or talking st- to you, Aliza. Or even start a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know, the name Janet Rager and now your name, Aliza, is forever associated with beautiful lingerie. But is there a dissonance between that and what we think of as the Jewish mother? Describe, if you could, perhaps your Jewish mother, your Jewish father and and the grandmothers you mentioned. I'll go first to my father because he was more of the Jewish mother than my mother was. And my mother was quite casual in her mothering. My mother was always very, oh, it'll be fine. You know, don't worry. She was very, I won't say, she wasn't distanced in terms of love and affection because, you know, I was always loved to pieces, but she didn't fret as much as my father did. You know, as my father, if there was what, my father, again, being Central European and of a Holocaust survival background, you know, the slightest gust of wind, you know, I had to have, uh, did I have my vest on? Did I have woolen socks on? I remember arriving at a very cold and drafty English boarding school. And the first thing my father did was go out and buy me a goose down duvet at a time where such things were not really in, in wide circulation in the UK. People didn't sleep in duvets. You know, you had two blankets and that was it. What happened to your father in the Holocaust? He wasn't in a camp, but he was a child. So he was with my grandmother in hiding. Um, and they had papers and they were able to survive. And as the war came to an end, they escaped from, or they fled rather, from what was then Czechoslovakia near Bratislava. And they fled to what became Western Germany, because that's where the train stopped. And that's where my father grew up. Was the war very much part of your upbringing? Well, certainly for my father, you know, a Central European influence was very strong in my life and I spent a lot of my childhood in southern Germany and in Austria where my grandmother had settled. 
So there was never a time where I did not know about it. Did you find them, your mother did the Jewish mother domestic bit or was she out and about concentrating on her professional life? Well, she did both. You know, she wasn't so much about the chicken soup, but she did. My, my father was very insistent on food on the table every night. He was insistent there was, you know, a proper dinner every evening. And my mother would cook a dinner every single evening. Um, there would be a soup. Because again, the very strong Central European influence of my for my father. If a meal didn't start with soup, it wasn't a proper meal. And you know, he was a carnivore. It was meat. And again, he associated a fridge. A fridge had to be full. You know, food was a very, very important thing for him. So we always had food in the fridge. And she managed to balance her professional life and all that domestic stuff at the same well, time. Or was she, she tired? Um, she did her best and there were times when you know we did have a cook because she just couldn't manage it and then once that they were sort of no longer together so much she said that's it you know I'm not doing the whole cooking thing anymore and she relied very much on M&S ready meals because she she said I can't be doing this. Do you have any siblings? It was just me all the attention was on me. How do you think that impacted the Jewish mothering that you got from your parents and the grandparents that you've mentioned? One of the things that strikes me very much on my own sort of Jewish mother behaviour, again, as soon as it gets chilly, even today, I was to my daughter, you know, have you got something warm? Have you got a jumper? Don't forget to put your coat on. Don't forget to layer up. It's, you know, this whole thing that, you know, we have in Central Europe, that where it is very cold in the winter, you don't go out without a hat on and your scarf on and your gloves. And, you know, when my daughter was very little, she would go hat on, gloves on, scarf on. How old is your daughter now that you're still worrying? She's 27. What about your Jewish upbringing? I mean, was it a traditional background? I mean, you've mentioned not about the chicken soup so much, but were there candles on a Friday night? Did you go to the synagogue? Not in my home. My, my, my father was very unconventional and didn't really have much affinity with that whole traditional Jewish way of life because he hadn't, it hadn't been part of his life when he was growing up. But my mother came from a very traditional Jewish home and certainly with my cousins who I spent a lot of time with growing up and my grandma who was in England, uh, it was very much traditional Friday night with candles and dinner and, and you know chicken soup and, and roast chicken. So I, I kind of had a very mixed upbringing of the very traditional and then the somewhat eclectic, different, slightly bohemian, slightly different artistic. So I grew up with, with, with both views of life. Was your mum a style icon to you? Was she a glamorous presence around you? And did she have that sort of European and continental chic? Uh, my father certainly had it. And my mother also, I mean, I used to love her clothes and I used to sort of covet things and try things on and look at them. I remember sort of going into her cupboards and stroking things and wishing they were mine, you know, when I was very little. You know, she had a beautiful silk chiffon dress. I think maybe just for the sake of our listeners, a, a very quick whistle-stop tour about the, you know, the background to all this and to, to the business, obviously, that you're you're so involved with today. Uh, your mum was the oldest of four sisters, and it? it was this whole idea of using parachute uh, silk yes. for bras that sort of was the kind of genesis well, of, of this empire. This was my grandfather, and I believe he bought a, you know, a massive job lot of parachute silk after the war, when you know this parachute silk was mostly considered redundant. 
and he bought it up and made lingerie out of it. And, and if my memory serves me right and the tales are correct, this uh, lingerie was made for Littlewoods. Elisa, your mum took a, a break um, to go and spend some time in Israel, um, which is obviously where she met your father at, at a neighbouring kibbutz. Did you have any of those youthful experiences? Did your mother say to you, go out, Elisa, or was she, no, stay home, stay home? Was always go. Wherever it was, she would say go, and I would always come back. And I think that's one of the secrets of a very healthy and loving parent-child relationship is to let them go, let them do what they need to do. My mother never said, oh, you must stay home with mummy, ever, ever. She never said that. And she encouraged me to go to places. And and indeed, um, going to Israel was very much a part of my life from a very young age. And I've been to Israel, I I can't remember how many times, countless times, obviously not in the last couple of years, no one's been anywhere. Um, And I can't wait to go again. And I've spent many, many months there and I love it there. And it it does feel like a coming home. Is there anything particular when you go to Israel that that resonates with you? Do you just, I mean, I just like to to kind of hang out on Tel Aviv Beach, but do you do anything more meaningful than that? You know, I I love all of it. I love to go sightseeing. I love to do different sightseeing things. I love to spend time in Jerusalem. Were you aware of your mother's cutting-edge designs and her revolutionary take on the fashion in the 1960s and aware how groundbreaking she was at the time? No, I was too young then to know how groundbreaking it was. Just as much as I was too young to understand the impact of places like Bieber on the greater fashion industry or or, or people like Mary Quant who had such a huge influence really on on the way we still dress today and what what was acceptable, what became acceptable. And if you think and you look back at pictures of the early 1970s, what was okay and how women portrayed themselves, you know, it was the, you know, people say, oh, you know, women's emancipation and equals, but this is the time when it really took off, when it really started. And if you look back, sort of World War II was the beginning is when women not only went to work, but women had to work. And then in the 1950s, where women decided, you know, their place was not just in the home. So it was a quite a gradual process. And, and I, I, one of the things that I do always bang on about is when people say, oh, you know, uh, we're not this and we're not that. Except, but you have to see how that glass ceiling has really been shattered. I imagine having such a glamorous upbringing that there were celebrities floating around your household. Was it like that? Oh my goodness, I hate to disappoint you. There was no celebrities floating <laughs> oh, around that house. Oh, Were you ever teased by the kids or by young men or um, boyfriends I, or was I, it a draw? I was teased mercilessly at school by a certain category or, or a certain class of boys. I can still remember who they are. And one of them particularly was very, very cruel to me. He now wants to link up with me on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I think, you know what, you were a complete idiot then and you're probably no better now, which is very unforgiving of me. I did get quite a lot of stick at school, particularly around the age of sort of 11, 12, 13. I think one never forgets those, Aliza. I remember somebody calling out outside my school 
hello flower and I turned around and they said not you your weed and I think now it's almost 40 years <laughs> later and I've never forgotten that but since then Elisa you've grown together with your mum and like Angela said you've built this absolute empire and do you think we Jewish mothers have evolved and are glamorous and are into the underwear as much as the rest of the world or are we the satirical typical balabusta emphasis on the busty that's not cheating <laughs> that's, the, name, the next range can be called Balabuster. <laughs> you can certainly be glamorous and Balabuster. I think just because you like to make cake doesn't make you any less glamorous and because you love and care for your family doesn't make you less elegant. On the contrary, you just need to go to shul on high days and holidays and many of the women there are dressed beautifully, are so elegant. You know, I think True. two things are very separate from each other. Other than Ascot, the ladies in shul on Shabbos and Yom Tov have kept the hat industry going themselves for years, <laughs> and that's about... I think a hat is just a perfect accessory. One of the standout uh, sort of facts that, that leapt out at me when, when I was doing my research is that Joan Collins wore a Janet Riga Basque in the stud. Oh. And I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to sort of marry that with a lady in shul, and um, that just, <laughs> I think that says to me the wonder of your brand because it speaks to all women, whether they are swinging on a swing with very little, or they are, you know, on the front row for their son's bar mitzvah. We are not one-dimensional, and I think much as women multitask. I think women are many different things. You know, when I say to people, oh, you know, I, I make jam, and I bet they go, what, you make jam? I went, yes, I make jam. Why would I not? My mother made jam. One of the reasons I love to make jam is because it makes me think of her, and it reminds me of her, and it just is that little bit of closeness. So I think as women, I can't really speak for men because I'm not a man, but I think women, we have many phases in our lives and being a mother or even Jewish mother is just one part of our persona. Lynn is palpitating beside me, Aliza, because she is an absolute enthusiast and maven when it comes to jam making and doing we'll all this kind of stuff. We'll have to swap recipes. What's your favourite jam yes. just by the by? What, what jam do you make? The ones I make are strawberry, apricot and cherry but if you get given a pot of my cherry jam that really is a token of great love because the cherry jam is you've got to de-stone every ah. cherry so that's that's quite hard work i'm with you on that because i do dams and jam and that's the same you know Noemi and I, we just like to eat it don't we Noemi? we do <laughs> yeah, elisa I'm, I'm i'm very curious about you because as a journalist not just with the podcast when i interview people who have been born into a successful business or a brand that's sort of so associated with a particular image in people's minds you know it's a great british brand there's a birthright element but yet you are an individual you know a highly intelligent accomplished woman in your own right was it always sort of written Thank in the you. stars that you would be part of this um, was there, I mean, we've done a previous podcast about whether to push or whether to pull when it comes to our children. Wh where did the compulsion come from to be part of the business? Do you know, that's a really good question. And it was a, a slow evolvement, partly because when I, when I was at school, I was then, I was too young to go to university when I had finished my A-levels. And at that time, they wouldn't accept me. So the idea was to take a year out and then I didn't go back. And by which time I'd just become involved in the business and was working. And I just kind of fell into it. And at a certain point in my life, I'd been doing it for so long and now I, I don't really know what else to do. 
it's just part of my life and part of my identity. Have you passed that on, Aliza, onto your children? No, my daughter does her own thing. She's very accomplished at, uh, she does digital marketing, but I'm sure at some point uh, she will come into it, or I'm hoping by that time um, we'll have some massive offer from a huge company like Kering or Richemont who'll take the company and, and, and take it on a more global level. Your daughter did some modelling for you. I mean, a, a number of years ago, when one uh, when you moved into bikinis. Uh, yeah, it was. It, we we did. This is when we were working with Debenhams. We did a swimwear line, and and she did the launch for it. But this is, you know, we're going back quite a yes. number of years yes. now, and we're very much when we're, we're no longer involved with Debenhams as they were, but certainly there would be conversations with the new Boohoo organisation behind them. Do you see yourself working and working and working? It's in my blood and I am a firm believer that the more you do, the more you do and it keeps you young, it keeps you engaged. I'm I'm not one of these people that sort of believes in retirement at 60 or 50 or whatever age and then doing nothing for the rest of your life. I think we need purpose and human beings need purpose. Mm. And I think we need challenges and I think we need a reason, or I certainly need a reason to get up in the morning. We all bear our religious identity in different ways. Some bear it lightly for some, you know, understandably, it's just a piece of information that they don't really do much with. Some people are very invested in it. When do you feel at your most kind of Jewish? And when do you feel at your most Jewish motherly, would you say? Probably my most Jewish motherly is when I'm preparing for a Seder night or a Yom Tov or something like that. I'm, you know, huge potfuls of chicken soup and chickens roasting, or if my daughter's unwell. But I think that sort of instinct to look after our children is a universal mother trait. I think the last moments blowing of the shofar on Yom Kippur at the end, that's certainly a very poignant Jewish moment. Do you feel like a traditional Jewish mother? Are there? Mo- I mean, we, we often talk, the, the girls, we, we all were brought up around the same time. I just look a lot younger than the other two. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, we're obviously very invested in the past, but we all have moments we've talked about over the years about, wow, I've become that person. It happened to me the other night, my 17-year-old, who's my youngest, um, was going out for the evening and she had like a crappy top on and with sort of, you know, these funky trousers and she'd done various bits and pieces to herself. And I said, are you going out like that? And as the words came out of my mouth, there is a universality to that. But also there's the kind of modesty element, the Jewish element. And as I said these words, I thought, I've become that person. Have you had moments like that when you've realised you've become that person? You see, my mother was incredibly liberal. She she was always about, you know, she was always about breaking rules and pushing boundaries. So I never really had that, are you, and she never said that to me, are you going out dressed like that? Having said that, my father would hit the roof regularly. Over what you were wearing? Oh my God. I remember there was a massive ruckus once because uh, we're talking probably late 70s, you know, where jeans had become a very, very big thing. And people went out wearing a velvet jacket and a pair of jeans. And I was going out for dinner with them. We were going to quite a smart London restaurant. 
And my father went, stratospheric, you are not going out dressed like that. And I went, yes, I am. And then there was a massive argument between my parents, saying, with my mother saying, stop being so ridiculous. She's just, you know, she looks really trendy and she's, you know, very fashionable and this is how young people dress. And you don't, my father was like, you do not go out for dinner, you know, wear jeans. You mentioned that you were mothered by so many mothers. You mentioned your grandmothers, your father and your mother. What did each of them sort of impart in you? What did they give you in your life, as it were, or in your mothering yourself? Well, from my mother, I had an absolute sense of unconditional love. It was, you know, there was nothing I could do or say that would disappoint, shock she she was just very, very unconditional in her love. Every, you know, she loved me and that was the end of it. From my grandma, was very much the same. We were all wonderful, all her grandchildren. We were all the best. We were all the cleverest. We were all the most beautiful. We were all the most fantastic grandchildren in the world. She loved us all equally. I'm sure she loved me the most. Um, <laughs> she, she just loved all of us. And we were all, again, that was that unconditionalness. My father was not quite so unconditional. It was you had to behave and look and do well. And I think it was this sense of you've always got to do better than, you have to achieve more than. So I, I think from him I got the striving, the sometimes being quite hard on myself. You know, Elisa, we're very big on Jewish Mother Bee about takeaway wisdom and, and you've really given us sort of things that we, you know, we hope when people listen to this, they've got something that they take away from them. So do you have any takeaway wisdom for us, especially regarding <laughs> underwear? Yes, knickers in particular. <laughs> Tell us your, well, we, want, well, we want to know well, your well, takeaway wisdom. Always matching sets. Hey, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> The right bra for the right purpose. So do not wear a black lace bra to the gym and do not wear a sports bra when you're going on a date. Is that more out of hope than expectation? Uh, take it as you will. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things in terms of wisdom, there's two pieces of wisdom my mother gave me. One was this too shall pass. And then when things got really bad, you know, she used to say to me, you know what? And she'd point to her chin, so she said, it's only up to here. And she'd point to her chin, it's only up to here, meaning we still had this much space before we drowned. So, wow. you know, oh, she would I love always, that. Yeah, I think, you know, when people say, oh, you know, the glass is only half full, you can fill it up. What a wonderful, oh, wonderful message. You are an absolutely the poster girl for Jewish Mother Me. You've been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thank one, you. One, one final question. Was there any Yiddish in your household? Was it that kind of... Oh, my God. I'm from Central Europe. I speak fluent German. Of course, there was constant ah, Yiddish. Yeah, from, you ah. grew up in Munich. Noemi here grew up in Munich. So if you want to have a quick, you know... <laughs> one of a quick... Noemi, we know the same people. Noemi, where, where in Munich were you? Where did you grow I, up I, in, in the artist area in Schwabing. My father was a dentist <laughs> to the artists. Okay, because I lived by Zentlinger Tor. Oh, very nice. That's still, that's the city centre to this day. Beautiful, yes. Have you been back, Aliza? Many times, yeah. many times. In fact, like I was there last September, sadly, because I, I was saying goodbye to a friend, But and I have quite a few Jewish friends still in Munich. Alles Gutes hat mich so, so gefreut und ich bedanke oh. mich herzlich. Ebenfalls ist, äh, und dass sie nach aus München kommen, das ist mir noch, noch ein viel größeres Vergnügen. Oh, und dass sie mich heute Abend oder Nachmittag hier gehabt haben, weil ich hat mich sehr gefreut. Danke. Which listeners was roughly translated as you three girls are clearly 
absolute Victoria's Secret slash Janet Regan models. You have the calibre and the looks for it. Don't let anybody <laughs> don't let anybody tell you otherwise. <laughs> Got that right. Elisa, on behalf of the three of us, thank you so much for your time. I know you're thank a really you. busy person. May the business continue to go from strength to strength. Oh, All the, the Janet Regan name and your family be blessed with good fortune. And thank you for bringing oh, your you. Jewish mother to Jewish mother me. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Knickers! Who knew, Linny? Who knew about Knickers? Well, she certainly knew about Knickers. I thought she was absolutely wonderful. Wasn't she? I Wasn't agree. She, just, she could uh, be our fourth pair of Knickers, couldn't she, Lynn? <laughs> uh, but it just shows, isn't it, because, you you know, there well, is such a stereotype about Jewish mothers, the Jewish mother figure being, what, a little bit frumpy, a little bit... Well, mm. not in her case. No, she's, uh, she's gorgeous. She's but there, it shows so that there was an essence of Jewish motherness that we can't shake off, that is almost genetic, that so common to so many of us there is a core absolutely values there are values but which can go out to the whole world and everybody can be uplifted by and so many of the message that Lisa taught us were were universal universal and so positive absolutely I don't think it's necessarily being Jewish like we say it's being part of a family and uh, whatever the family's like and part of a community that brings it all together amen I did like you all said amen ultimately it's the love and being nurtured yeah. by that figure, be it your mother or another figure. And, and she seemed to have had plenty of that, That's, this unconditional yeah. love. Yeah. And before we go, Noemi, I think you should, Lynn and I were guessing what you were saying to each other in German. <laughs> Perhaps you could enlighten us. Well, we, we thanked each other, really. We were both thrilled to meet somebody from German background. But not only that, we actually lived in the same place in Munich, in Bavaria, southern Germany. So we were delighted to uh, make that rapprochement. Oh, rapprochement oh, together. See, I think that's fancy you can talk take for a girl out of Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Send her back again. Cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for Jewish Mother Me. Um, I hope you really enjoyed listening to our chat with Elisa Riga, really, really lovely person. Lots of illuminating facts about her, her mother's business and the business that she carries uh, on to to this day. So until next time, that's from me, Angela Epstein, Noemi Lopian, Lynn Dover. Do join us soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.